Hey there, I'm Stephanie Shaw. Welcome to the Hello Hot Flash podcast, where midlife women can learn from guest experts and authors who discuss menopause and all that comes with this new chapter in our lives. Hello Hot Flash, where we learn to control the change and not let the change control us. Ready to control the midlife change? Well, Menopause Simplified is for you. Menopause Simplified is an eight-week interactive and transformative live group coaching program led by leading menopause experts. Join the waitlist at hellohotflash.com shop. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hello Hot Flash, where we help you control the midlife change. Carrie, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Me too. I'm really excited to talk about menopause and storytelling and hot in Charleston. Yeah, I, I so love that name, hot in Charleston. I, I I think of designing women when I when I say heart in Charleston. They weren't even in Charleston, but you know, I just tie the two together. It's my age. <laughs> love those ladies. I know I love those ladies. I got those fabulous women. All right, for those of you who do not, well, wait. This is a show for people going through menopause. They should know what we're referencing, right? Ben <laughs> Charlson, yes, yes, yes. So just a little bit about, about me. You and I have talked a few times. I'm a writer, an essayist. My career was in marketing. Um, so I was a ghostwriter to sort of CEOs and public figures. But today I'm a founder of a midlife community called Hot in Charleston, which is on Instagram. We also host live community events. And it was my own personal journey that led me to this sort of new career in midlife talking about perimenopause. And that story is kind of interesting. I'm not, I I don't even know if we got into that, but basically I'm nearing 50 years old. I moved from New York city to Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm in this sort of new town with no support structure, thinking about a new career. And I start having these symptoms of anxiety and sleeplessness and mood swings and rage. And I thought that maybe it was my move, but no, in fact, it was perimenopause. I just didn't know it. So I was chairing this big event in town. And I, when I was shopping for supplies, I had this epic meltdown in a craft superstore. And I talked to my a new friend and she said, you need to check your levels. And I was like, levels, what do you, what are levels? And she said, oh, you're probably in menopause. And of course it had never even occurred to me because our mothers and doctors had told us, you know, nothing about this period. And so As a result, I basically fired all my clients, went back to school, got an MFA in creative writing. And I knew that after graduation that I wanted to investigate this time that comprises a third of our lives and happens during, you know, other ruptures like aging parents or shifts in career divorce or the empty nest, which I'm facing. And then I knew that as a writer myself, that I wanted to use storytelling to help find my own voice and help other women find theirs. And that's why I launched Hot in Charleston. Yeah, I love it. We're talking about hormones and sleep and gut health issue, but I thought it was so important to kick off this new year and talk about the subject of storytelling because a lot of times we lose our voice during this period or we make the assumption that we need to lose our voice during this period. And storytelling becomes a powerful way for women to communicate. So talk to us a little bit about storytelling. What does that really mean for the woman in menopause? Sure. 
Well, one of the things that I first did when I founded Hot in Charleston was I conducted some research Mm -hmm. and I talked to a hundred women age 35 to 65. And I know you love research as well. And I was floored by what they told me. And first of all, 99% of them said that they were ill-prepared for menopause, but 75% of them said that they wanted to hear stories of other women going through it because that's how women share and receive information. Women want to be validated. They want to know that their stories matter. They want to see their lives reflected in a lot of the science and advice and medical advice and tips and data that they're hearing. And so when I hosted World Menopause Day in Charleston, we had a panel of doctors, but we also had a group of memoirists to talk about their own life journeys. And that was the part that the women who attended loved. And so then a year later, we took the sort of intergenerational storytelling, because it's not just talking to each other at this age, we're already in it. It's talking to the generation that's coming next to say, here's what's coming. Here's how you can be more prepared than we were. So we took that intergenerational storytelling to the stage and staged a sort of literary theatrical event that had award-winning memoirists and poets and actresses and musicians. And we talked about everything on sort of the arc of a woman's life from turning 30 to having children, to facing an empty nest, to hysterectomy, to parents aging and passing. And, um, you know, it's really powerful when we start telling these stories, because remember that the period of perimenopause and menopause comprises such a huge portion of our lives that all of these things that affect how we feel and our relationships with other people and how we think about ourselves and do in our careers, that's all happening at the same time. So that's why storytelling matters so much. Is there one story that really stands out to you that you can share with the audience? Well, this really isn't a story, but a poem, but this was deeply moving to me. There's a poem by a woman named Catherine Barnett, who's a professor at Barnard. Mm -hmm. And we asked her for permission to use it in our showcase, Midlife Monologues is the name of the showcase. And she gave us permission. And it's the story of a woman who dropped her son off at college and sort of felt like she was having an out-of-body experience and said, okay, you just have to make it to the car and you just have to make it back to the city and you just have to find the building where you live. And, you know, you don't recognize anything in your house and there's shoes by the front door. And of course that is very, you know, upsetting. And then um, she went into the freezer and she found she was looking for something and she found kind of a plastic frozen bag in the back of the freezer. And it was breast milk and it had hardened over 19 years. Oh my goodness. And I think that that poem, I believe that that poem may have been based on a true story. I'm not positive, but that story for me was riveting. And so I wanted to include it in the play, the showcase midlife monologues, because a lot of the people I speak to, and of course, you know, some women have chosen not to have children and, you know, some women were unable to have children. And, but for women who have had children, children, one of the biggest ruptures that some of them are talking to me about now is, is the empty nest. Mm -hmm. And really it's not just about sort of mourning what feels like a little 
loss or a death that someone has left. But it's the idea of having trouble turning inward to figure out, you know, as women, who we are untethered from the roles that we have held for other people and what's next for us. And that's why I think that kind of these creative endeavors that I like to be involved in, whether it's publishing an essay or staging with um, Pure Theater, an amazing theater company in Charleston, where I live, kind of a creative collaboration on, on a woman's journey is that it can spark, you know, it can spark ideas for people for what they, what they imagine for themselves and what they want to do next. You know, I'll tell you in July, I'm um, 57 and I'm not even in menopause yet. I've been in perimenopause for 10 years and yes. And I just now a few months ago, stopped getting my period that whole time I, I was menstruating and something clicked in me when I stopped having a monthly cycle and it was July. And I remember feeling completely debilitated, Hmm. completely apathetic, kind of in my PJs, unable to motivate. And I know that it had something to do chemically with menopause. It was as if it happened right at the same time as I stopped menstruating. And now, you know, a few months later, I've, you know, co-authored an op-ed for World Menopause Day and staged this showcase with these award-winning, you know, memoirists and actors. And and I think that we have to give ourselves grace during the period where we feel uninspired, but then really dive in, whether through, you know, talking to a friend or listening to a great podcast, like Hello Hot Flash, just find some things that can stimulate us, you know, as we kind of reimagine what's next for us. I love that you uh, shared that with us, because a lot of times, as we were saying, you feel stuck in this phase and you also feel like it no one else in the world could possibly be feeling this way and a lot of times what we need to hear is that there are other people who are feeling the same exact way as we are so i appreciate you sharing that i know you talk about narrative medicine i've heard the term from you tell me mm-hmm. what is that what does that term mean yeah well i'm not a doctor but i'm really fascinated with this idea of narrative medicine <laughs> And I think that what the medical community is increasingly recognizing is that the care that they provide patients, and Mm -hmm. I'm interested in women specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, must reflect the lived experiences of the people they're treating. Mm -hmm. And so as we've talked about, you know, women spend a third of their lives in perimenopause and menopause, and all of these things are happening to them physically, emotionally, as I just said, as I'm like stuck on my couch for three months, you know, immobile and relationally. And so we have to bring our stories into our interactions with doctors and the other communities who support us in in midlife. And narrative medicine draws on the study of literature to help doctors understand the lived experience of their patients and not just their medical histories. And so I'm thinking that maybe in a way, you know, the kind of events that we're that hot in Charleston is hosting world menopause day with memoirists and doctors and, you know, this play, this theatrical moment, and then your podcast and all the other conversations, it's almost like a narrative medicine of itself, helping, helping normalize and wake people up to the things that women are experiencing. 
because it's this stigma and misunderstanding, you know, and dismissing of these very big feelings and physical symptoms that we have and emotional trauma really that we feel that makes menopause one of the most pervasive and misunderstood health issues affecting women today. So if in some small way through storytelling, you know, I can help move the dial on that. Great. And I don't know if what I'm doing is called narrative medicine, but it feels like in some ways it's it's helping. Yeah. It, it, it's helping us create our own narrative about what this phase of our life should look like. And as you said, when we started the podcast, these were not conversations that were happening. These weren't conversations that were happening five years ago. Like I, I'm, I don't know if I'm, because I'm in the thick of it, if I'm hearing about it more, but I honestly think that we just started having these conversations that are so important. Um, and women often lose, we mentioned it a little bit, they lose their voice during this time. Like we don't understand the impact of storytelling the or the impact of sharing so how does the menopausal journey often impact the woman's communication style and their confidence um, when it comes to expressing themselves? Well, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in now is looking at, and I haven't done much of this yet, but I have just been collaborating, as you and I have talked about, with Menopause Mandate US, right. which is following in the footsteps of their UK um, sisters and kind of launching this um, public education campaign and raising funds to help toward moving the dial on policy in the workplace. And that's really what I'm interested in. I just read a news report that said that 26% of women said that their symptoms were negatively affecting them in their jobs. Mm -hmm. And that one in six said that they had quit a job or considered leaving due to menopause. Mm -hmm. And I know back when I worked on Wall Street, I remember I was in my 30s then, but I had a colleague who was in her 40s. And I remember seeing her feeling like flushed, getting flushed during a meeting. And I thought that maybe that was nervousness or kind of blushing. But now I recognize that that was she was probably in perimenopause or menopause. So I mean, and also I think of myself, so, I mean, women feeling marginalized at work or sweating during a big presentation. And I think of myself, how many times a day do I search for a vocabulary word and cannot find it? And these are in my personal interactions, but also my work interactions, you know, on Zoom or on, on the call. I'm not in a traditional work environment anymore all day long. And people must think, you know, without the proper education around brain fog and word recall being a symptom of perimenopause, who is this woman who's like brain fried and can't think of any, I, this happens to me all day long. So these are some of the issues that affect our communication and those are just symptomatic, right? right. But how do the way we feel about ourselves affect the way we interact with other people? That's another good question that you asked. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I 100% know if I was not running the organization that I was running um, in 17 and 18, they would have fired me. Like I would not, I would have lost my job because about two o'clock every day, I was no longer able to function. So I had to, which made it worse for my family. I had to extend my work week. So our work week was a four day. I had to extend mine to six to kind of still make up for that 40 hour range 
because I could only work in pockets. One, I could not remember anything, but at past two o'clock, um, I was just physically anxious quite a bit during that time. So I can only imagine people that don't have workplace flexibility and or are in a situation where they um, there's no understanding as to what's going on. They're just thinking, oh, you know, she's dingy or she's just whatever. When it's a medical issue that we are not preparing our counterparts to understand. So, yeah. No, I'm, I think you're onto something huge here. And as we've talked about, you know, this is a, a huge human resources imperative for American yes. companies because, you know, companies even small businesses, but large companies, they are cultivating women over their entire careers and they're at risk of losing them just at the time that they've reached the pinnacle of their careers are adding the most value and they're leaving because they're misunderstood and they're facing these physical and emotional problems that they don't understand and that are not supported by flexible workplace policies, as you've said. I believe I've read it's 1.63 or 1.36 billion dollars in lost wages by women during perimenopause and over 26 billion when you include all of the medical health care resources that are needed for those women. And you're so right when you keep saying United States because it feels as if definitely the UK is getting it and their HR policies are are showing they're getting it. But it feels like we're very far behind in these types of conversations. And when we can finally have them, they're like, oh, the men don't need to be in the room. Yes, they do need to be in the room. (laughs) And part of this conversation, I mean, there's a place for women to collect, gather, tell stories for themselves. But there's also a place where the men need to understand that this is a biological thing that is happening and they need to honor and respect that and give people flexibility when they're in the workplace. Yeah, I know. But every once in a while I get on that soapbox, I'm like, oh, I'll dismount. No. <laughs> it's a necessary one. So yeah. um, kind of, you know, uh, thinking about communication and identity and everything. So that, yeah, one half of what I'm really interested in right now and just moving into with menopause mandate is the very thing that you've just mentioned, which is workplace policy. The second thing that I'm really interested in exploring is, you know, my background is branding. Mm-hmm. And so I've helped a lot of companies and nonprofits and public figures figure out what are their distinctive strengths and who precisely are they and how do they want to be known and, you know, their brand positioning basically. And I'd like to maybe develop some workshops for women to use those branding strengths and protocols that I know from my business life to help inspire women to reimagine their own lives um, during midlife, during menopause, their menopause journey. And, um, you know, asking questions like, when did they feel most proud? Or, you know, who inspires them? What precisely do they want to accomplish? Because I have many women come to me and say, like, I know that I want to be engaged in something creatively or new, but I don't know what that is yet. Yeah, that sounds impactful. I um have another guest. Uh, she was a guest on the podcast. And afterwards, we went at it about the branding of menopause symptoms and diagnoses. And it, there's just these hard words that are often put on it to make people shy away from it, make people think that there's quote unquote, something wrong with them or wrong with the situation. So when you start working on that, do something 
um, about some of those buzzwords as well. We need new words. We need to rebrand menopause too. We need to rebrand menopause. Yes. Connotation versus denotation. We need all of that, all that fix. Uh, so- you know, I think we are re- rebranding menopause right now. I mean, I think that's what you're oh, doing well. with this podcast and what so many people like Naomi Watt, you know, just authors and yeah we are doing that i mean we're part of a really big cultural shift that's taking place right now and it's really exciting so i just want to thank you for what you're doing in that area i appreciate that i just i have a daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law to be next year and i want those women and my young cousins and so forth to start getting this message so that when they get to that phase their body is more prepared and they're ready for it and they're having even broader conversations we're having now. So I'm excited about that. So are there particular mindset shifts that you can find beneficial for women going through menopause so that they can start to embrace this new change? I think that the biggest shift that I've struggled with and that I find that other women struggle with in, in talking to them at my hot in Charleston events or chatting with them on Instagram is the guilt that we feel when we decide to embrace selfishness for the first time, you know, in our lives after sort of and thinking about our identity as tied to roles that we have for other people, whether a spouse or an executive or a parent or a mother. Yeah. I mean, and so I think that, um, yeah, mindset shift is it's okay to be selfish. You almost have to take these reflective, quiet moments to discover what you need to feel optimally supported at this phase in your life and to consider what you want the rest of your life to look like. So I say mind shift to selfishness. Let's do it. Yeah. I would even say that it's not selfish. Like it's, it's necessary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That selfish act of loving yourself is quite necessary in order to get through it. I talking to another guest earlier today and she was talking about her five steps. And I said, until I started layering those five steps and included self-care, nothing was working. Like the nutrition was helping, the exercise was helping, but I had to layer everything and include self-care. I had to start taking care of um, my time, start to say no to things. I said no to someone today who I've, I don't think I've ever said no to before. And I didn't really say no. I'm just like, I'll do it later because I love working with her and I will do anything she asked me to do. But today I'm sending the email and I'm like, send with absolutely no guilt. Can't get to that till 2024. Kind of thing. And she knows. Really empowering, right? Yeah. She knows that she's listening. I love her to death. I will do anything in the world for her. But I had to start thinking about, wow, my year is filling up. We have a grandbaby coming. Um, I have other things going on. I can do it, but I just need, I need until 2024. And she was, she was cool with it because it can happen. But for me, I don't care. Years ago, I would have never done that at all. I would have just figured it out and just added more weight to myself. So I'm very happy that you said that that mindset shift that we need is to understand how we need to take care of ourselves. That's super powerful. And now that we're facing this new year, another sort of communications tool is sort of in the dialogue with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I find that journaling can be really powerful tool um, and a springboard sort of, you know, I've journaled when I've gone on retreats and sometimes I keep a journal next to my bed and, you know, people say that, well, experts say, I think psychology magazine and others say that, you know, 
journaling lowers your blood pressure and helps your mental health. But for me, I noticed that when I flip back through my old journals from previous years, when I'm starting a new year, that I find, you know, common themes that help me figure out what I should focus on. And it doesn't have to be kind of a structured uh, process. It can be just sort of scribbling thoughts down on, on the page. But when you go back to them, things will bubble up to the surface. And the, the trick is, then how do you use those ideas as sparks to help yourself discover kind of a new level of interest around what's truly meaningful for you? And as you said, when you were said saying no, let the rest fall away. So that's, I think, our question for ourselves. Yeah, I like that a lot. Let's let's wrap back around to storytelling real quick. So I don't live in Charleston. Kind of wish I did at least a couple months mm-hmm. a year. What if other women are listening and they're thinking, man, this storytelling is intriguing. I need to pull a couple of women together for us to share stories. What would be like a first step for for you to advise? I think that women can do that through a book club. You know, maybe that they they can take an opportunity either in when they're assigning a book to themselves or even talking about a book, they can relate it to their own lives. I'm reading an incredible book right now called Lost and Found by Catherine Schultz, and it's a memoir. Half of it is about the loss of her father, and the other half of it is about her finding herself in a new relationship. And I just find it completely riveting and inspiring, you know, because I'm an essayist. There's a famous saying by a memoirist named Patricia Hample. She says, you tell me your story and somehow I get mine. And so I always like to give book recommendations that are memoirs and essays, because I think that they're really powerful and sort of stimulating our own thoughts about our own lives. So that's what I would recommend. I love that so much. My next question actually flows into that, but you kind of answered it. So, but I'll still pose it to you. What are you, what else are you reading or listening to right now? I am listening to more and more podcasts. I love your podcast. I love Kelly Corrigan. Kelly Corrigan is really, really provocative in the best way. And I recently attended uh, a virtual creative session or two with her and another group. And she said, surround yourself with excellence, you know, in who you're talking to and what you're reading and always sort of stay in touch with that thing every day that you're creatively trying to advance, no matter what it is. It could be knitting. It could be, you know, an essay. It could be something that you wanted to cook or learn. And she's incredible. There's also a, a book that I love um, called Having and Being Had by Ula Biss. I think she has a podcast too. I see her on Instagram a lot. Substack I've been subscribing to. Mm-hmm. And there's um, Lise Lonen on our best behavior. Okay. Um, I'm really interested in what she has to say. And she, she talks about sort of the seven deadly sins and why women think that they need to be good and how these things like anger, anger and sort of the feeling of obligation get in the way of, of women. That sounds, I'll, I'll make sure I put those in the notes for folks to reference. Uh, listeners can find my work on carriedivine.com and I'm also on Medium. And I have a few award-winning essays. One is about teaching my teen to drive. Another is about my breast reduction that went awry. Um, And all the things that I learned about myself during these um, milestones of my life. And you have a book as well. Uh, 
I can't remember the name, but Hobby Lobby and having a breakdown (laughs) for some reason (laughs) coming together. Right right now I'm working on a um, book proposal about a book about midlife, motherhood and menopause. Okay. Name to be determined. Okay. All right. Perfect. When we get off the call, I'm going to have to ask you if I made that up. because I swear I saw that title somewhere. It's probably on my website, CarrieDevine.com. All right, good. I'm like, did I just make that up? (laughs) So Carrie, the episode will air after your next hot in Charlotte event. So just kind of give us a little bit about that. So folks, when they're following you, they can perhaps tune in and find out about the event that will come after. Sure. Um, Hot in Charleston is a community for people to share stories and resources on perimenopause and menopause. And we also host events where we talk about the journey through to and through midlife. We hosted an event called Midlife Monologues with the Poet Laureate of Charleston, Asia May, um, award-winning authors, Sinel Barnes, an incredible painter, Ann Darby Parker, um, and Sorella from Lexington, Ohio, uh, the award-winning group from The Voice last year. And so they can look on my Instagram, Hot in Charleston, for clips and uh, more information um, from that show and stay tuned for what's next, because I think we're just going to start really doing some creative collaborations to get people advancing this story about perimenopause and menopause and what's next for women in midlife. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. That group is really good, by the way. Like, I don't remember all the, the voice folks, but I remember them, of course, because they're from Ohio, but they're, because they were so good too. So yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. I so appreciate your time today, Carrie. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for all you're doing. I appreciate it. And this was uh, really lovely. Appreciate it. Thank you everyone for listening to Hello Hot Flash, where we help you control the midlife change. Make sure to check out the show notes where we will include links to all of the subjects that we covered today. Want to discover how to manage your hormones so you sleep better, have more energy and manage your weight? Take the quiz on hellohotflash.com. It only takes 90 seconds. Here's to your health. Worried about the weight, the stress and the sleepless nights? Take my online hormone quiz to discover how you can make simple lifestyle changes that will help you lose weight, eliminate stress, and sleep like a baby. The Hello Hot Flash Hormone Quiz. Find out more on hellohotflash.com.